Well, it seems fairly common for Christians to think that our greatest threat is external. We tend to think that the greatest threat to Christianity would be something like secularism, Islam, liberal Supreme Court justices, Hollywood, atheist college professors, things like that. We tend to think the greatest threat to Christianity are the external threats. And maybe those are real threats in certain ways. They are in certain ways. But it seems that the greatest threat to Christianity is not external, but internal. When people who profess to be Christians, who are inside the church, do something to corrupt the message, do something to corrupt the gospel, or hinder the promotion and proclamation of the gospel. Again, I don't want to say always and never unless the Bible makes it clear that it's always and never. But this is a tendency. The tendency is we look at our mission field and we think the mission field is the problem. The external. The very people we're supposed to be reaching with the gospel we begin seeing as our enemies instead of evangelistic opportunities. And then we forget that we're actually to be careful with what's happening inside, lest it either corrupt our message and we don't have a message anymore, or it hinders us in proclaiming the message. I really, really appreciate the book of Titus because it's taking a church in a pagan culture and helping them to realize that your biggest threat is not external, that's your mission field. Your biggest threat is internal, therefore be very careful with what happens internally when it comes to the gospel. So we're going to wrap up Titus this morning. We're going to look at chapter 3, we'll look at verses 9 to 15, and then at the end of the service we are celebrating the Lord's Supper so that you know that we're headed toward uh, doing that very thing. But Titus wraps up, and, and really Titus wraps up by, by encouraging the church to watch out for troublemakers. Not troublemakers on the outside. He's already said you're supposed to look at them the way you were before you were a Christian. With show mercy, kindness, gentleness, submission. But to watch out for troublemakers inside. Lest the message be corrupted or the message be hindered. So that's what we'll do this morning. Pretty straightforward. And then I, it does end on a high note, on a positive note, where Paul talks about his life and pro seeing the gospel progress and move forward. And so we'll, we'll end on that. Before we actually get to 3, 9 to 15, which is what we'll look at this morning, a little bit about leading up to the context. If you just look with me, if you would, at chapter 2, verse 15, there, there are a couple of, of positive exhortations, of positive commands to Christians like you, like me, and specifically to Titus, who is a pastor. So Paul's writing to Titus, a pastor, so that he could lead people in these things. 2.15 says, declare these things. Declare that the gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and it leads to good works. Don't get it reversed, but he says, declare these things. Preach these things. Announce these things. And then he goes on to say in that verse, verse 15, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. But what I wanted you to see is the positive Declare these things. Tell Christians that Christ alone saves, but He doesn't leave you alone when He saves you. 
He produces good works in your life by the power of the Spirit. And, and, and this is positive. And this means do the right thing not to become a Christian. Do the right thing because you are a Christian. Declare these things. So that's positive. Then chapter 3, verse 8 is something similar. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So declare these things, insist on these things, and what he means by these things would be something similar. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. As a pastor, Titus, insists that Christians understand that salvation is only by grace because of the perfect work of Christ, but it's to lead to something. It's to lead to right actions. Insist on these things. Declare these things. So there's the positive emphasis, and that gets us ready for chapter 3, verse 9. Negative contrast. But. Here's what you're supposed to be doing with Christians. But. Avoid. Or shun, it could even be translated literally. Avoid. The idea is go around. There's an accident in the middle of the road. You, you go around the accident. You avoid the accident. He says, but by way of contrast, if you're going to be a faithful pastor and you're going to help Christians be faithful Christians, avoid. And then he gives four errors. Four errors that need to be avoided if we're going to understand our role as Christians in the life of the church to maintain good outreach ministry, but also to be healthy on the inside. But avoid... Now, let's go ahead and go through the list of these errors that we need to avoid that have to do with divisiveness. They have to do with such things. Verse 9. Avoid foolish controversies. You want to be a faithful church and a good evangelistic church, a church that's committed to the Great Commission, one thing you need to make sure you do is avoid foolish controversies. Greek word, moras, moron. Otherwise translated as stupid. Avoid stupid controversies. Avoid moronic controversies. Avoid moras controversies. Stupid. As an aside, you may or may not be a fan of John Calvin. That's fine. He was imperfect um, for sure. But you should at least read John Calvin's Institute sometime in your life for, if for no other reason to see that a thoughtful theological writer says the word stupid like on every other page. <laughs> it's refreshing. <laughs> it's like... He uses stupid all the time. <laughs> Maybe not every other page. But I kind of like it. Because it's biblical. And he tends to use it with, with in this sense, where there, there's some kind of controversy that's so straightforward, that's so settled in the Bible, that's so clear to conclude otherwise is stupid. It's moronic. It doesn't even make sense. It's irrational. So it is a good sanctified word, not because Calvin used it, uh, but because the Apostle Paul is using it here for us. So boys and girls, stupid is a good word if you're talking about bad teaching about God. Fair enough? Am I okay, parents? Maybe moron is better? I don't know. <laughs> Verse 10. 
Now, let's make sure we understand that when Paul says you, you drive around that in the life of the church, avoid foolish controversies, he's not saying avoid any conflict whatsoever. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul and his writings, and, and he's so controversial when it comes to, let's say, the doctrine of justification, that, that God declares sinners righteous even though they're not based solely and entirely upon the work of Jesus. And to say otherwise it would be under the cur- to be under the curse of God. And you read Galatians, it's controversial. That's an important controversy. Uh, it, it, it's an important fight to fight, if you will. So let's not be so PC and, and say, well, anything that's controversial we shouldn't talk about because we're just here to be about the gospel. Well, you, to be about the gospel, you have to make sure that you have the gospel. So what is he getting at here? How do we know if it's a foolish controversy or not? Well, he doesn't really say, so I'm going to do my best sanctified guess and say, it's when the Bible is patently clear on something and something's been settled. To now bring it up again would, would, would be foolish. Why, why, why are we revisiting this? Or how about this? If the Bible doesn't talk about it, but we're making it an issue, the Bible doesn't talk about it, then somehow we're making it an issue and now we're dividing over the people who commit to this, people who don't commit to this, and now all of a sudden it's a non-biblical issue and there's creating division, it's in the context is division. That, that, that's stupid. That's stupid. And so many times, the controversies we see in the Bible that are uncalled for are those kind. Where someone has extra biblical revelation. They've had a certain experience. Uh, we sometimes label it Gnosticism, which was second century. It's not first century, but it's the idea that you've, you've, you've gone to heaven and seen something that no one else has seen. It's not in the Bible. And you know things that nobody else knows. That's stupid. That's contrary to what the Bible says. That's foolish. That's moronic. That's, that's something that, that's like folklore. To say that God the Father has, a, has a, a physical body and he's a little bit taller than Michael the Archangel or whatever it is and heaven is for real, that's so foolish, that's stupid. And it divides. Totally, it's, it's a divisive kinds of issue because it's extra biblical revelation. Well, God told me this. I know he didn't tell you, but now I'm off on another illustration. And so if you just knew what I knew, because I've had a special kind of experience, and now it's all of a sudden I've got the pat cult, and we've got the haves and the have-nots, you should look at that if I'm doing that in the church and say, that guy's a moron. And we should do everything we can to drive around spiritual morons. Now, this doesn't mean we don't have questions. This doesn't mean that we don't have questions that we want answers to. But we have the once and for all delivered to the saints' faith, according to the book of Jude. Remember, too, in our book, Titus, Paul's writing as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he has the authority of Jesus. So these other guys who are trying to, and gals if they are, trying to sneak into the church or they're part of the church and they're trying to teach something different, some kind of special secret. Apostolic authority silences that to the point where we should be able to say, this is what the Bible says, this is what the Apostle says, and what you're saying, therefore, 
is out of line. It's stupid. Not very nice, right? But what we want to do is have the gospel be pure and we don't want to be distracted with anything else because we're trying to communicate the gospel to those around us because that's what we're called to do. But we get off on these weird things. I'm being nice, I said weird. Stupid things. And they either corrupt the gospel or they distract from what we're supposed to be doing. By way of contrast, in our letter, Paul says again and again, sound, sound, sound. As in healthy, sound doctrine, sound teaching. He's talking about the the real deal. Sound versus stupid. Sound versus foolish. Keep the main thing the main thing, the gospel sound thing, healthy thing. Okay, let's move on to the next. Avoid genealogies. We know what he doesn't mean. We, don't, we know he doesn't say, don't read Matthew 1, <laughs> right? I mean, genealogies are super important in the Bible because the Bible is describing real history. And so we want real history. Genealogies are important as much as we might like to skip them. And they're important because of Jesus and who he is and where he has to come in the line of things. So he's not talking about that. But one thing that we know, even from extra-biblical history, is pretty common amongst Jews, when they don't have enough Bible to learn, I guess, it's again that Gnostic kind of thing. Well, we know some kind of special secret about this genealogy, and -and so-and-so is related to so-and-so who's related to so-and-so, and you know what? My nephew's brother, sister's dog's rabbit's uncle is related to them. And so we've got the bloodline to be ridiculous about it. And so if you really want to know what's true, if you really want to be on the cutting edge, you need to go talk to my brothers. Never mind, you get the idea. Again, it's this distraction. It's either going to end up corrupting the gospel because they have a different view of the gospel and the work of Jesus, or it's a, at best it's a distraction to keep us from doing what we're supposed to be doing. mystical kind of hidden meaning genealogy sort of thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 4, he deals with something similar, it appears, nor to devote themselves to myths. Again, extra biblical kind of revelation, myths and endless genealogies. Apparently it was the thing. Doesn't seem to be so much the thing in our day. But speculations about things in the white spaces that aren't actually really there are still the thing. Hidden meaning. No one has ever come up with this before until they had Bible or computer programs. Buy my book. Secret, secret, I got a secret. Never liked that song even when it was out. Pop culture from the 80s, sorry. Who sang that? Sticks? All right. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) If he says it, it must be true. (laughs) Again, you go, that that hidden meaning, whether it's in a genealogy or somewhere else that's not there and it's not clear, that's just, that's to be avoided. 
just false authority that contrasts with Paul's apostolic authority that's genuine authority. Let's keep going. Also, avoid dissensions. Synonyms for dissension, strife, quarreling, fighting, being divisive. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 4 says, similar kind of issues regarding a person who's into this. So we're going to avoid people now, it seems. Also, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. They claim to understand everything, but Paul says they understand nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissensions, slander, evil suspicions. Avoid the dissensions. Again, just to clarify, he's not saying avoid serious and important discussions about what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. He's not saying unity at all cost. I mean, remember, like in Philippians, Paul does talk about those who deny the gospel and add works to it, and he calls them dogs and evil workers. You could say that's, that, that, that's dissension. No, he's not talking about that kind of issue. If the gospel is a settled issue and we're in the life of the church, it's this, it's this dissension kind of thing, division, divisiveness because of this extra stuff, just drive around it. Just avoid it. Watch out for that. Be careful of that. Let's keep going. And quarrels about the law in verse 9. Commentators seem to think, and I would agree, it seems to be an Old Testament law. Somehow, how does Old Testament law relate to Christians? If we look at the data in Titus... A good clue would be the circumcision party. Somehow saying, it's good to believe in Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised because that's what God says for God to accept you. So it's what Jesus has done and circumcision from Old Testament law, because I can show you chapter and verse, you should do this, and then God will accept you. Seems to be the idea. Titus chapter 1 verse 10, so you know I'm not making it up. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. There's this group. It's fine to believe in Jesus. It's good to believe in Jesus. But we've got some extra things you need to do. You need to be circumcised. Well, wait a second. We know that even in the Old Testament, circumcision didn't justify you. Read read Romans chapter 4. I would just encourage you to beware of and be careful of people that want to take Old Testament Mosaic law things and say, if you really want to be godly and if you really want to have the extra step, extra blessing kind of move into things, then you do these things too. Avoid people like that. Food laws would be another one. But it seems to never end. If you really want to be there, have we got some secrets for you? You probably didn't read this in the Old Testament for a while, but now we've figured it out. How about just, just go, that's stupid. At worst, it's going to undermine the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and somehow it's what Jesus has done and what I have to do at worst. At best, and it's still bad, it's going to 
distract us from our mission of proclaiming Christ. We, we have a ministry of avoidance. I'm getting this impression that you're avoiding me. I am! Right? Just because I mentioned it, Leviticus 11, food laws. Go write a book. Just give me some of the proceeds. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Acts 10, no food laws. Done. I don't think he's saying you should have no discussions whatsoever about the law. Because Jesus talks about the law in the New Testament and summarizes and makes it clear that the law is love God and love your neighbor. Well, that will always be relevant. That was relevant before there was Mosaic law. That's relevant to Jew and Gentile based on Romans chapter 2. That's always good. It's always important. It always will be good. It always will be important. And if you don't understand that law to a degree, in that sense, you, you could never understand the gospel because we're lawbreakers. We sin. We need Christ's righteousness. So keep things in context. Okay, we doing okay? I feel like a little bit like this is information dump, I'm sorry. Um, Would you like me to name some names of people who are like this? Would that keep it more spicy? Some of you are like, yeah. Here's why such things need to be shunned or avoided. Verse 9, for they're unprofitable. That right there is good enough for me. They're unprofitable. That's what the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ says. That's not profitable. That doesn't lead to your sanctification. That doesn't lead to your spiritual growth. You think it does. You think it's going to help. It doesn't help. It's not profitable. Like period. So stop spending your money on them. You know? Stop wasting your time on them. They're not profitable. Spiritually profitable. It's a bad investment, right? If you literally, you you want to make a profit. Spiritually, you want to have spiritual profit, spiritual growth, spiritual development. It's not profitable. Stop. But it's interesting how in Titus, Paul's used profitable. How about chapter 3, verse 8 for our contrast? We already looked at it, but to see 9, they are unprofitable. 3, 8, which we already read, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that you, uh, those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. That's how Christians are supposed to act. Christians are supposed to do the right things. Christians are supposed to do godly things, good works, devote themselves to these things because they flow from, they find their origin in the cross. We should be known for our good works. This is profitable. But all that secret stuff, all that stupid stuff, is not profitable. It's profitable in one sense, right? Because it sells. But it's not profitable for the church because it distracts. This is super relevant to where we are, don't you think? 
I mean, I'm going to have to be careful that I don't have a mean guy ministry. Right? I mean, you just see what is profitable, and you go, more than likely, I have a pretty sneaky suspicion it's not profitable. Here we go. Makes Thanksgiving awkward. Or Christmas, or Mother's Day. Right? You see it coming. Oh, I've got this new book. You can check it out. And you're like, oh, here we go. Sold over a million copies. Oh, here we go. I'm not saying every book is bad. There's some awesome, amazing, wonderful books available. And sometimes people like to read them. Praise God. But the practicality of it in the life of Omaha Bible Church is don't want our message to be corrupted. That's a great threat, the greatest threat. And we don't want our ministry to unbelievers who are not our enemies to be corrupted or or distracted. But think about all the time we spend on this stuff. Then he says, and worthless in nine. Or empty, fruitless, useless. All that time, all that money, all those hours. Titus, as a pastor, just tell people to drive around it. Give them sound doctrine. Give them healthy doctrine. Help them. You might be perceived as mean. You're actually loving people and giving them healthy, hypodermic doctrines. Is the sound word. Verse 10. Transitioning a little bit. As for a person who stirs up division, the source of these things seems to be within the church. Because it's division within the church. After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. And for you who like original languages, that's an imperative. Have nothing more to do with him. You just dismiss him. Done. I warned you once. Warned you twice. It's over. Seems pretty official because it's a church kind of thing. It seems like an official dismissal. But on a practical level, I do all kinds of interacting with people, hopefully you do too, outside of the church where I can't officially do that. But I can practically do that, and so can you. We've talked about this. We've seen what the Bible says versus what you've said. We've seen what the Bible says versus what you said. And you're divisive about this, and I just have to be done. Maybe we call it tough love. It's pretty harsh. But we just can't let it either corrupt or distract. It's very intolerant. But for the sake of the church and the gospel and ministry, he says, be done with them. Verse 11, knowing that such a person is warped. As one dictionary translates it, perverted or distorted of mind. Again, to to bring some balance here for you who like grammar, it's perfect tense. It seems to be something settled. 
This is not somebody asking a legitimate question. This isn't somebody wondering and wanting help. This is a settled wrong conviction, and now that's being promoted. We're all growing. We're all learning. But this is something different than that. This is the divisive person who's settled in his or her wrongness. And then it says, and sinful. He is self-condemned. So it's sinful, but isn't it interesting that the church has to condemn them and say, warned you, warned you, you're done. But really, they've condemned themselves. It's not just an action of the church. They're self-condemned. Here's a note I made. Perception will be that such is not nice. And sometimes people who come off as really nice and innocent are ultra-divisive. As I like to say, tongue-in-cheek, too much, it's nice to be nice. So please be nice. Right? I'm not trying to downplay that. I like nice. I like the bumper sticker that says, mean people stink, but it doesn't say stink. I don't like, I don't like mean people. I like nice people. This won't be nice. It might be loving, but it's not nice. To confront a divisive person and say, you're being divisive and you need to stop. That's, that's not nice. But it's right. It's true. Out of love for Christ and the gospel and the church and even the person. So I'm thankful for nice people. But please don't misunderstand people who are nice and yet are divisive. That's bad. I can think of, unfortunately, more than one person who seemed to be the nicest some of the nicest people. They're not here this morning, so I'm, if you feel guilty, you should. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's convicting you. Uh, no. Who, who aren't here, who, who are so nice in certain ways, in certain settings, in certain contexts. And they're some of the most divisive people I know. So all of that to say, don't be fooled. If someone is being divisive, even if they're nice and do nice things for you, they're to be avoided and they're to be warned once and then twice and then done. And I know I'm not being nice in saying that. But, but, but it's how it is. I can remember confronting someone about this very issue and a certain kind of, I don't know, I don't want to get into the details. And the response back to me was, that's not nice. And I described what they were doing. And I said, that's not nice either. We want to not only have a pure gospel in the church, and not be divided from that, but we want to not be distracted so that we can be doing our ministry and divisive people distract us from doing these things. 
worn, worn, done. Because we're here to do something, and it's not what you're trying to get us to do. I wish I couldn't think of any other examples. I made the mistake of saying last night to my wife, who are some of the most divisive people you can think of? (laughs) And she's way more godly than I am and just rolled her eyes. (laughs) It was like water off a duck's back. You pass the salt. We're going to talk about something else. So it was a low moment for me. Um, (laughs) I confess, she wasn't nice to me, but she was godly toward me. But we did talk a bit about how generally in the life of ministry at this church, we haven't had a lot of big division. And we were thankful for that. I am thankful for that. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But by way of application, let's do this and be committed to this and let's, let's not be duped or confused when people are nice to us but divisive. It's when you say, hey, wait a second. Stop. That's a distraction. Wouldn't it be amazing if you said to someone, hold on, wait a second. Let's go talk to that person that you're slandering right now. And if you don't go, I'll go. It would deal with the issue. So we need to be willing to be not nice for the greater cause of not being distracted. Just quickly, mentally, we won't turn there, but that's why earlier on in the qualification section, we looked at how an elder's, one of the qualifications is that they're not quick-tempered. And that general idea, I think that's important. Because there's going to come a time when they need to be not nice. But it's not because it comes naturally, because they're Mr., you know, mean person. But there's a time when it is necessary to not be nice. And it's not because they're an unkind person. It's when you need to put your finger, when you need to tell somebody to stop it, you can do it. Okay, we better keep going. So it doesn't end on a negative. We have the closing verses. So as we approach the closing verses, there's one more thing I forgot to say. Isn't it interesting how so many times this is, we we warn the outside world. And then we tolerate all kinds of divisiveness in the church. It's like, we should expect unbelievers to act like unbelievers. But we should expect believers to act like believers which is to excel in good works, not division. That's not Christian. Okay, good. Verse 12, here we go. Paul says, When I sent Artemis or Tychicus to you, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. West coast of Greece, about 200 miles northwest of Athens is where he's going to go. Interestingly enough about that, it would indicate that Paul is making progress toward where he has wanted to go. He's wanted to go to Spain. He's making progress. The gospel's moving. 
And, and he's, he's inching his way toward where he wants the gospel to go to all of these unbelievers who end up being his mission field. So that's happening. Verse 13, do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. I want to make a quick connection here, and we're going to see it now. Paul's all about not being distracted. Paul's all about moving his gospel ministry where it needs to be moved toward. Okay? And he's calling for help. Okay? Then it says in verse 14, And let our people, believers, learn to devote themselves to good works. Ah, that's back to verse 8. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. This is like an awesome little summary of what he's been talking about. And he's connecting it to his ministry. So it's, it's a different ministry than the, the church at Crete, but it's a similar kind. I'm moving the gospel here. The gospel is progressing here. And so I need some, some Christians with good works to help. See, when we're being divisive and we're not doing the good works, we're not helpful and we're not helpful at progressing the gospel, whether it's in Crete or it's on more of a global scale with the Apostle Paul. It's pretty cool to see this, this in action, but with him as an apostle. It's the same thing. Real life example. Verse 15. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And I love it. Who love us in the faith. The unifying factor is that they're in the faith. I love that because it should unite all of them. They might not even, even have ever seen him. But since they're in the faith, they're committed to the sound doctrine to these things, there's love. That's super awesome. Cool to see where the real power is. It's what unites. It's what brings together. It's what leads to the good works that would even help the gospel go further. And as we wrap this up, I say may God help us to not be confused with where our biggest challenges are. You might think that those big bad liberals out there who don't share your Christian values are your enemies. They're not. They're your mission field. Read earlier in Titus. Our big threat is actually among us, among professing believers who are either going to undermine the message that we have for our mission field or who distract us from it. And so let's have a good, healthy, robust proclamation ministry and avoidance ministry for the glory of Christ. Okay. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this great little letter that has motivated me personally and I'm praying and hoping and longing for it to motivate a lot of other people that we might uh, be able to even push reset if need be and to recalibrate our minds, to think through what we're called to do, what we're not called to do, how we're called to do it. I pray for those who, who have a divisive spirit and a divisive tendency who might be hearing this right now, that they would repent. I pray for those who don't have such an attitude or spirit that they would be able to see such things for what they are and call to repentance. That we might see great days in the days ahead, not only in our community here, but in the world at large, where Christ is proclaimed to the nations, that we might be committed to holding forth the word of truth, the gospel, that we might be committed to excelling in good works that would support the gospel's ministry.
that we might experience great joy in doing these things. God, please help us. Help us to have this kind of love, a love that is in the faith that would transcend. In Jesus' name, amen.